Hey, welcome to the Gospel Rant, the number 11 of the top 100 Christian podcasts of 2021, according to Feedspot. I am Dr. Bill Sinyard with Gospel App Ministries. We are going through the Sermon on the Mount in the way that only Gospel Rant could do. We started a while back in chapter 3 with Jesus' baptism, and now we're about to finish the temptation narrative in Matthew 4. And I have a very special treat for you. Today, we will present the extended interpretive narrative screenplay version of that section, Matthew 4, 1 to 11, the temptation narrative. And here's the treat. My youngest daughter, Allie, who is now in her second year at Princeton Seminary, will do the voiceover. She has brought her talents before to a number of previous Gospel App projects, particularly our very popular Take Heart curriculum for young adults. You will fall in love with her. Without any further ado, here is Allie and Matthew 4, 1 to 11. So the Holy Spirit took control and led Jesus away from the lush and temperate Jordan Valley and up the steep rise to the hot, inhospitable desert, all by himself. Jesus willingly obeyed. No complaints, no need for direction or negotiation. He followed step by step. No one could remember a king submitting like this. For 40 days and 40 nights, this humiliating journey continued. Every day, Jesus felt more hunger, but no food was provided. He asked for bread, but the heavens were silent again and again. Day 10, no food. Day 20, no food. Don't misunderstand what was happening here. Don't imagine Jesus as being quiet and stoic. He was pleading for bread. His daily bread, as he put it, but not even a crumb. Jesus began to feel faint and listless. Day 30, the same. As bad as it was, day 40 was worse. It was then and there that the tempter, a person that Jesus was very familiar with, appeared. And so began the battle of the century, the wild one in the wilderness, In the one corner, standing 6'2", 225 pounds, the challenger, undefeated to date. All knockouts, the deceiver, the underminer, Satan, Diabolus. And in the other corner, the champion, the son of God incarnate, Jesus of Nazareth. To be honest, the challenger never imagined that he might actually pull off a victory. Vegas odds were off the charts. He was clearly outmanned, so to speak. His goal was to get in the ring and do as much damage as he could possibly do for as long as he could. He had planned this for millennia. The challenger landed the first blow. Wow, you have got to be hungry. How many days has it been? 20? 25? 40? Are you kidding me? Enough is enough. You are the favored son of God. You should eat. Certainly your father would approve. Nothing in the Torah requires you to starve. How can you be the rescuer if you're sick? And look, there is nothing magical about 40 days. You can, that's the point, you can make bread out of anything. Like those stones over there. It's a parlor trick for you. Your father would be so proud of you for being so resourceful and for taking charge. He's probably just busy on something important. Jesus head bowed, weakened by the lack of food and the oppression of the sweltering heat, mumbled, It is written. It's just not about eating when you want to. I'm here on mission. I'm subject to orders. 
I listen for and will obey every command that my father gives me, no more and no less. You wouldn't know anything about that, would you, deceiver? Then the challenger snapped his fingers and they were no longer in the wilderness, but on the tip-top corner of the temple of God in Jerusalem, looking over the religious crowds below. These were the very same people who had been baptized by John only weeks before. They were still trying to get God's favor, still trying to get rid of their guilt, still worried about God's wrath that was on the way. But the tired celestial game of quid pro quo at the temple wasn't working any better than baptism. They were even more miserable, lost, and afraid. Jesus looked down and felt compassion for the disconnected, anxious people below. He came to rescue them. You know, Jesus, the deceiver said matter-of-factly, after 40 days of being abandoned in the wilderness, maybe that's too strong of a word, you tell me, no food, just you, by yourself, you have to begin to feel a little isolated, am I right? Who hasn't felt abandoned a little when our prayers have gone unheard? The heavens stand at a distance, starkly silent. You and I are not that different. I've got your back. You have to wonder, right? I mean, of course you're still the son of God. Of course you have only been the best example of what a son should be. Any father would be proud of you. I'm sure that's right. For the life of me, I can't explain where God is or what he's thinking. It's an unintended oversight, no doubt. So here's an idea. Here we are at God's earthly house, the temple. I don't see him, but he must be here, probably still busy. All of those humans are feeling the same anxiety, wondering if God has changed his mind about them. Have we messed up? Has he found another? That's why they're here too. So let's be proactive and get his attention. You are so worthy. Jump. That's right. Do a swan dive and then watch how fast God comes running to your aid. He'll drop everything and you will be in his arms lickety split. He won't let you crash into the crowds. No, sir. You will see. I believe, the challenger said with as much empathy as he could possibly fake, he would be so sad to hear that you even wondered about what he felt toward you. Let's fix it once and for all. Just jump. I think that's what Psalm 91 implies. It's not totally on point, but the gist is there. What I mean is that it's scriptural. These are your very words. Am I right? He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. That's clearly you, O favored son of God, and no one needs rest more than you. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wing, you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord, 
who is my refuge. Again, you are a poster child for refuging in God. I've heard your prayers. You just want to feel it now. No one blames you for that. Then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent because he loves me, says the Lord. I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. Nazarene, no one has ever loved him more than you. You deserve such love from him. It's only human. These are your own words. Some of your best stuff. Satan reverently and with an actor's flourish utters psalm verbatim. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Such beautiful writing. It brings a tear to my eyes to see how you're being treated, as if you lacked faith. So jump, Jesus, and you will experience that closeness with your father again. You don't have to keep wondering. He pointed at the swirling masses in the temple court. You are not like them. You deserve so much more. After a long moment, Jesus, still not looking up, not moving at all, in fact, said in a growl, It is written as well. Never tried to manipulate God. Ever. Now showing a little frustration, knowing that he has only one more shot, Satan waved his hands once in the air like a magician, a grand gesture, and the scene changed. This time, they were at the very peak of Mount Hermon. It was a crystal clear day, and one could almost see to the ends of the earth, all of the nations, all of the economies and powers. It was all on display. He took Jesus' chin and forcibly made him look up. Look, you foolish man. See all of this. I can make it yours right now. All of the worldly glory, wealth, riches, power, comfort, worship. You will never be overlooked again. As he said the last part, Satan held out a glorious crown and placed it upon Jesus' weary head. The bright sunlight reflected off its points and manifested the colors of the many precious gems that encircled the band. It was a glorious crown of crowns. Son of Mary, isn't this what you've really wanted? Recognition from him? Satan spit out the pronoun him, pointing upwards into the clouds. Acknowledgement from them, he said as he waved his hands around the extended horizon. Sure, you came to rescue these rebels, but to what end? Aren't you rescuing them so that they would serve you? There, I said it. You want to be held in high esteem by them. You want these people to appreciate you, to follow you, to obey you. You should be worshipped. Not a lot happening yet, am I right? So far, except for a few humans, you have gone totally unnoticed. You chose to lay your crown, your throne, your glory aside to start this mission. But will there ever be a time when you're finally recognized for who and what you are? Are you wondering if you're still God enough? 
I can make that happen in a blink of an eye. Just sign this, transfer your devotion to me, and together you and me, me first, of course, we will rule this place. It is our right. You will be my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Didn't that feel kind of nice when I said it? Look around. Who's here? And who's not? The other guy, he said with an obvious glance skyward, has turned his back. He has no place for you. Well, what say you? Jesus finally stood and with an enraged look directly into Satan's eyes, cried out, Get away, you perverter. It is written, and I should know, as you said, because I wrote it, Worship the one true God alone. Serve him. Submit to him. Trust him alone. The next time I see you, someone will die. Then there was only silence on earth once more. Satan knew that he was beaten this time. But honestly, he had not expected to win. He was testing the limits of Jesus's humanity. Usually, humans never made it past the promise of relief from physical deprivation. Jesus was starving and could have easily sold out the mission for a bowl of porridge. Satan had licked his chops as he listened to Jesus asking the heavens for daily bread. For that is how one prays, of course. His prayers had grown more urgent as the weeks passed. Satan had at one point thought that this would have been a slam dunk. But no such luck. Jesus didn't buy into Satan's trap. Impressive, Satan thought. Then there was the Satan's probing to see just how much the typical human hunger for connectedness would motivate the Son of Mary. Humans cannot bear loneliness, not for very long at least. Jesus had been isolated for 40 long days. Loneliness is a deep pain that often drives humans to wild, destructive extremes of self-medication. Jesus, the human, would have certainly worried that he was all alone, abandoned, and that no one had his back. The father said he was the favored son, but talk was cheap. He certainly hadn't felt that favor for weeks. Satan knew that humans' critical inner voice was so easy to manipulate, and they tended to be in denial about its power, but nothing from Jesus. Then, As the final onslaught, he had tested Jesus' lack of enoughness. How far could the God-made flesh humiliate himself, lack being affirmed, or be recognized for who he was and submit to humiliation over and over again? Satan had never witnessed such other orientation in the flesh, ever. This was problematic, he thought. He had underestimated God. God was far more complex than he had given him credit. He would need to try something far more radical. He still knew he wouldn't win, but that wouldn't stop him from taking as many down with him as he could. There would be another fight soon. He swept his arms once more and disappeared, along with the gaudy crown that had lost all luster and significance. Easy come, easy go, he thought. In the void caused by the removal of darkness incarnate, light began to manifest. 
a myriad of angels appeared, swarming around the now upright Jesus who once again found himself in the wilderness. They laid out for the young man a great banquet worthy of a king, a great king. They gave him fresh water to drink and bathed him, adorned him with robes appropriate to being the champion. His crown will come later. The worship and acknowledgement will also come in a little while. But for now, he had work to do. The unnoticed, humble king, the favored son of God, stood ready for the next fight. Thanks, Allie. I love it. I'm the proud father. We're going to pick up this journey in Matthew uh, with the calling of the disciples account. You may be surprised how we will unpack it. Remember, we would love to hear your thoughts. Uh, dialogue with us. What did you hear? What do you agree with? What do you disagree with? Was your life changed? Uh, something popped off the page? Love to hear that. Bill at gospel-app.com. Until next time, take heart, child of God. Finding uplifting news in today's headlines is often like searching for a needle in a haystack. At the Story Behind podcast, we believe in the power of finding heartwarming tales and are happy to share empowering stories with you every week. Hear about how Steve Harvey surprised a dying man on Family Feud with $25,000. Get inspired by the note a waitress received from a patron dining alone. And even hear about how one VIP passenger made a hardworking pilot get emotional before his flight. To start listening to the Story Behind podcast, visit lifeaudio.com or search Story Behind on your favorite podcast platform.